0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Obedience Podcast. I'm Lisa A. Smith, founder of the Black Health Academy, and this is my solo podcast entitled Obedience. And this episode is specifically entitled The Best Advice I Never Took. So for those of you who don't know, this is the Black Health Academy podcast platform and we essentially have two podcasts on this platform. So the Black Health Academy podcast is hosted by myself and Ms. Get Fit with Jay and then the Obedience podcast is strictly hosted by myself and these episodes are dedicated to helping you get into alignment, helping you to identify how your gifts, talents, and purpose collide for you to live obediently on this planet. And every episode is dedicated to a certain subject around obedience. And so I absolutely love doing these solo episodes. These episodes come out one time per month. So in order to get access to them, just simply make sure you're subscribed to the Black Health Academy podcast on whatever platform you're listening on, and you will be notified when a new episode is available. So as usual, because I'll be talking for maybe 40 minutes to an hour, I always have a beverage handy in case my mouth or throat gets a little bit of a little dry. Today I'm sipping on water, I'm on my third. 28 ounce glass of water. So you guys know that I'm heavy on water all day, every day. Hydration. Water is the one thing we wake up deficient in every day. So it's super important. Um, And so my first 28 ounce glass of water this morning, I had some chlorophyll drops in it. And then my second glass, I actually put in some blue green algae. And then this third glass that I'm sipping on right now just strictly has lemon in it. So just just alkaline water, essentially, because the lemon is added to it. So that's what I'll be sipping on. So if you hear brief pauses throughout this episode, it's usually me taking a sip, and it sounds like this. And then I'm right back, okay? so. I'm really, 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 really happy to share this particular episode because it contains a significant milestone that um, I set out to achieve some time ago. And so it's really that milestone is really connected to the title of this episode, the best advice I never took. So I am so super geeked to share it with you. Um, Please make sure if you aren't already, you do yourself a huge favor and go to www.theblackhealthacademy.com and join and become a member inside of the Black Health Academy. You're going to get access to not only these podcast episodes, but also four different schools inside of the Academy. The Master School, Plant You, Plank You, and Sci-Fi. And in those different schools, we address different topics under those headings. So do yourself a huge favor if you know know, health is one thing you're looking to focus on in 2021, Um, then the Black Health Academy will be a great resource for that because the Black Health Academy is a free platform and you get access to master classes about everything from weight loss to whole food plant-based nutrition to reversing chronic conditions like hypertension and high cholesterol um, to ready-made workouts and then to mental health and so we cover all those things inside of the black health academy so please be sure to join the blackhealthacademy.com all right so let's get into this episode i'm like on literally on the edge of my seat <laughs> I can't believe how excited I am. I was just working this morning and going into our different platforms and just updating stuff and checking on things. And I ran across something that just made me smile from ear to ear. So let me share that with you. Um, so I started the Black Health Academy in 2017, specifically in October of 2017. So it's been three years and what October, November, December, January, three years and three months, okay? Uh, so what's that 39 months, as they say. <laughs> this company is 39 months old. And uh, so I started this company in October 2017 and I remember when I first started the Black Health Academy, I remember specifically saying, "My goal for us in the first year is to get one thousand members." Okay, and I remember telling that to someone, and I, for the life of me, I cannot remember who it was, but I remember them like being slightly taken aback, like, "Oh, okay," <laughs> like, like it was a pretty hefty goal, which it turns out it was, because the Black Health Academy has evolved. um, Several times since then, you know, we're not on the same platform we started off. We started off with three different membership tiers. We only have one now. Like it was just so many different things at that time versus what it is today. Um, And so we have evolved greatly over those 39 months. But I'm so happy to report that, you know, I was just checking this morning and I saw that we recently reached a thousand members. It was like a thousand on the dot when I checked it this morning. I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, I was like fireworks all through my heart because um, we, you know, have our thought we just recently got our thousandth member. And it makes me so, 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 so happy because I remember that being my goal when I started this company 39 months ago. I um, mean, it's really a testament about, you know, not giving up because you can imagine if we're just now reaching a thousand and I can guarantee you the bulk of that did not come in the first year, right? And so we missed our goal completely in that first year um, for so many different reasons, you know. Uh, but the most important thing is, you know, I didn't give up. I kept refining, and we continue to refine the academy to make sure we're adding value to individuals and members inside of there because, you know, our mission is very simple, and that is to eradicate the most common chronic diseases which disproportionately impact people of color. And so when we when I started the Black Health Academy, you know, we didn't even have at that time the complimentary nutrition, live nutrition classes that we do every month now. You know, the live nutrition classes literally didn't come until um, they started in 2018. So I started the Black Health Academy in October 2017, and we didn't start the free nutrition classes, live nutrition classes until the summer. I think it was June or July of 2018. So, you know, uh, the bulk of our members come from literally joining those free live nutrition classes every month and realizing that, you know, we know our stuff and they want more or they want the replays and they just want more access to understanding these conditions that they're dealing with. So... You know, we've really seen a lot of growth, a significant growth in this last year in in particular. And I'm just so happy to report that the Black Health Academy is officially at 1,000 members. As I record this in this moment on uh, Saturday, January 23rd, we are officially at exactly 1,000 members. And it only took... What, literally two years, 12, 24, uh, 27 months past my goal, you know, it just took us an extra 27 months. <laughs> I wanted to do it in the first year, it just took us an extra 27 months to reach those thousand members. But I'm so proud of my team. I'm so proud of myself. I'm just so proud of our community. Um, and I, this, I'm going about to make this all make sense and tie it all into obedience now. So let's get into the best advice I never took and why these thousand members are just even sweeter. So when I first started going into, you know, deciding to make the transition into a career in health and wellness, it was, you know, because I had just kind of reached the peak of my health journey. When I say reached the peak, I mean like I had lost a significant amount of weight And I was really falling in love with this content. So I was kind of transitioning from it being all about me into making it about other people, i.e. turning it into a career. And I remember, you know, my first personal training job, I went to my boss at the time, you know, and I said, I want to start my own company. And I was wondering if you would be willing to mentor me. And he said yes. And he is a phenomenal person. And he was a phenomenal mentor. And I can still call him to this day. And, um, you know, I remember building out my programs and thinking, you know, because I was starting a personal training company, but it was going to be a virtual Personal training company or a traveling personal training company. Um, we were not going to have a brick and mortar. I had no desire to have a brick and mortar. I still don't to this day. I toil with the idea every now and then, um, and who knows? But you know, still to this day, you know, I don't have a brick and mortar. And so, I remember going to him, and one of the conversations we had was really about you know, who I was marketing to and, you know, how I was putting myself out there, right? Um, And I remember a piece of advice that he gave me that turned out to be the best advice I never took was, you know, if you're relying on black people to make money in your business, you, you basically never will, okay? That was the piece of advice. Like, you are going to have to have clients and customers of multiple races, you know um multiple statuses in order to be to have financial success, right, and I remember that advice taking me aback slightly, and I was like, "hmm right and I remember kind of taking it to heart because what it did is it sent me into a tailspin of kind of this identity crisis because not only did I hear, you know, you can't just service black people if you want to eat. If you want to feed your own family, you cannot only have black people as clients. Is what he was saying, right? Um so not only did I hear that in plain words, but what I also pulled from that was, you know, you And I might have made this extra part up in my head, but it's what I took from it, which was, you know, maybe I need to also be careful about making it clear that this is a Black-owned business, that this is a Black-ran business. And I know so many startup, Black startup entrepreneurs deal with this identity uh, crisis in that, should I be public about the fact that I'm the face behind the brand? And I... I had that issue in the beginning. And I initially made the decision not to be, um, not with the black health Academy, the, the company that I'm specifically talking about that it was the traveling personal training company and everything was my very first company, which was uh, professionally fit. Well, it was originally called fit camp 360. And so I decided, you know, I was like, Oh, I don't know if I want my face plastered everywhere as the founder. I just want people to join fit camp 360, or we eventually started doing business as professionally fit. And, you know, it really, because I had that in my mind, like, okay, if I want to be successful, I don't know, I can't just rely on a black clientele. And um, that, that also means to me that I need to be careful about making it clear that this is a black owned business. And so... What happened was, you know, I really started, I was really uncomfortable for a while. Like, okay, you know, marketing materials, website, you know, speaking engagements, right? Like, I'm like, okay, the logo shouldn't have pictures of people. The website, let's just focus on health. Let's just focus on, let's not focus on what the end user looks like. Let's just focus on, you know, the results that we can get. And it, you know, and it really took me a while to get comfortable with being, The face of any of my brands now. Um, But I've fully leaned into it since. But so before I get into, you know, why this is the best advice I never took, I have to back up a little bit and say, um, I did kind of take this advice, you know, because I developed a, two limiting belief systems, right? So two limiting belief systems came with that advice, right? The advice was, you know, if you're relying on black people to eat, to make money, to be, to gain financial freedom in your business, you, you won't achieve it just only having, you know, black clientele. And so from that advice, um, I developed two limiting belief systems about my business and, my, and about my ability to be successful in my company. The first was that black people are broke, right? So that was the first, that, that, to me, that's what, you know, this piece of advice was saying in black and white. Like, if you're relying on them to make money, you're not going to make it because they don't have it, right? And so that was the first limiting belief system that um, seeped into my <laughs> into my brain. The second was they don't value health right? Um, Now, which also can just be translated to they don't value what I'm selling, right? So two built-in assumptions came with this advice. Black people are broke and they don't value health, right? Because you had to be saying one of those two things to tell me I'm not going to be successful in business with a Black clientele. Either you're saying they don't have the money or they don't value what I'm selling, right? And sometimes both, right? So... Those are the two limiting belief systems that grew out of this and understand that this is all hindsight, right? I'm able to articulate all this now after going through it, like after acknowledging that, though, that, that advice really impacted me in a significant way. And still to to this day, I think about it a lot. Um, And, you know, being able now that I've overcome both of those limiting belief systems you know, I can look back and see how they impacted my ability to thrive professionally. But again, I'm saying this is strictly hindsight, strictly hindsight. This is just one of those lessons that I had to learn, you know, after going through, through getting over them. Okay. Um, So, you know, if I'm being honest, I guess in, in a certain way, when I say the best advice I never took The better way to say that is that's the best advice I never took eventually. So what I mean is I kind of did take that advice at first, but I didn't do it by like excluding black people or whatever, or really trying to, you know, make myself all inclusive and put myself out there in front of all these different races. But what I did was I undervalued my services. Right. So I tried to when I was creating price points, it was all about what I think people might be able to afford. Right. And so my the limiting belief systems that I developed from that advice paired with my limiting belief systems around money. Right. Caused me to undervalue my services. It caused me to essentially undercharge for my products and services based on the value that I was giving. Okay. And so what I found was the reason that was detrimental to business is because number one, when you undervalue your services, you tend to not necessarily get the right type of people in the door, right? When you undervalue your services, Um, you're not weeding out the people who not about that life. You're not weeding out the people who your services are not for. Some people see something and think it's for them and they see the price tag and they say, oh, I can afford that. And so they join. And so your your services always want to be priced, um, very specifically in a way that attracts the right end user. Right. And so I undervalue my services. And so I begin to attract people who thought they needed what I was selling, which maybe they did, but they weren't ready to do the work that was required once they got in the program, right? And so for that reason, I've had people, you know, drop off, not finish all of these things because I was just undervalued, right? And the second thing um, that undervaluing my services did is, you know, it essentially uh, uh, minimized the brand, Right. Because, you know, we in America, we associate cost and price tags, you know, with the quality of the product. Do we not? So if we are purchasing a pair of shoes, right, we automatically think we're going to get better quality shoes if we're paying, you know, 500 bucks versus 50 bucks. You're going to say, well, obviously, the better quality product here is a five hundred dollar shoe. Right. And so by my some of my services early on and even now um, being priced lower than as in comparison to the value that they were giving the end user. You know, a lot of people look probably look at what I'm selling like, "Mm, how much am I really going to get for that price? Right. How much am I really going to get for that price? But it was priced there because I had this limiting belief system about what i thought you know my target audience could afford and um you know what and what my own personal limiting belief systems were about money see because when you're running a business right you as the founder and the owner right you show up with all of your mess okay so when you are developing creating your business building out your branch your products and services it's you doing it. You don't switch. You don't hit a switch, flip a switch and turn into a different person to create your products and see your services in your business. It's you doing it. So whatever limiting belief systems, whatever insecurities you have, whatever um, inferiority complexes you have, that's you. That's that person creating that business. Right. And you will see it all about your business. And so, say, for example, If you have money issues yourself, like if you're in a place where you're kind of struggling to make um, ends meet or, you know, just you're not financially free yet. Maybe you, you know, you're definitely making enough to cover all your expenses, but you're not at a place financially where you're able to really live the way you want to live. I can guarantee you that's going to impact how you price your products and services. So it, I also, that also was an issue for me because when I first, when I started my first company, uh over five years ago in 2015, I definitely had limiting belief systems about money. And so I really, you know, because I wasn't financially stable, I wasn't Paying myself, I wasn't, you know, um, hyper focused on getting rid of debt and maximizing my ex my um, assets. I wasn't focused on, you know, prioritizing pleasure. I wasn't focused on, you know, just creating a secure financial future. And so, you know, every penny counted. I, you know, couldn't splurge the way I wanted to. And so most of us, we build our products and services for people who are like us because we know ourselves the, bo- the most. And so that's exactly what I did. You know, I think I thought I was doing, you know, the end user a favor by pricing my services um, based on what I thought was affordable as opposed to the value I was creating for them, right? Those are two different price structures, right? So this advice, right, like I said... Um, I did take it at first because I got really insecure about being the face of the brand and I got really insecure and nervous about having black clients because I'm like, are they going to pay? Are their payments going to fail? You know, what is this going to look like? Right. And so let me get, I remember actually getting my first, my first white client and being so like, I remember feeling like I had kind of made it when I got my first white client. So crazy you know the dysfunctional thoughts and ideologies we have um as you know just existing as people of color but i have become one of those person who value whiteness you know over blackness period like i was like i remember like getting my first white client and thinking like oh yeah you know, I'm in there now because, you know, white people are noticing my brand and my services. And, you know, I, that means I made I completely devalue my own people. Right. I completely devalue my own people. Like, I'm I'm so ashamed to say this, but I feel like sharing it is going to it's going to be helpful because it's the same thing. You know, when you think about, you know, individuals who might have a bad experience with a black business and they say things like, you know, that's why I don't do business with black people or whatever, because we're unreliable. We're not on time. Our products and services aren't right. You know, whatever, whatever hiccup they had with that particular business, they blanket statement. Uh, they make a blanket blanket statement and apply it to black businesses across the board. Right. And, you know, don't want to give us a second chance and all of these things that comes with, you know, having a black business. And so, you know, I did the same thing. So I was, just thinking like, oh, white business means I made it. It's just so dysfunctional and crazy when that's not the case at all. Like, that's not the case literally at all. Like, I know I do not value whiteness over blackness anymore, but that's really, you know, a symptom of white superiority and white privilege, right? That is a byproduct of white privilege that coexists in the culture in which I live, right? Because In in culture in general, whiteness is perceived as a better quality. You know, you're more likely to be perceived as better qualified. You're more likely to have more... Um, disposable income, you're more likely um, to get away with which, with much more just because of your whiteness. And so, you know, for a lot of black people, that seeps into our subconscious unknowingly, and we begin to value whiteness over blackness, right? And so I'm, I'm no different. I'm no better than anyone. And so I experienced that same thing. And so, you know, this advice really, really threw me into a tailspin Um, unknowingly, again, unknowingly for me, right? Unknowingly for me. Okay. So let me, let me bring this, bring this forward now because, um, it's the game has changed. Okay. The game has changed, honey. Sip, sip, sip. So, um, You know, as I mentioned earlier, here we stand on, you know, Saturday, January 23rd, 2021, with 1,000 members inside of the Black Health Academy. Um, So when I reached, uh, started reaching a place of mental maturity, when I, where I was able to, dissect and, you know, first of all, become self-aware that I held these beliefs. That's number one. Self-awareness is always the first step in changing. Um, and so once I was able to become self-aware that I held these beliefs, you know, the next step was to, you know, understand how to unravel them and move and operate differently after evicting those beliefs, right? Those limiting belief systems. And I will tell you the thing that helped me to begin to unravel that belief system that, you know, I can't, have a successful business, if majority of my clientele is black people, it's evidence. <clears throat> I'm gonna be honest with you. It was evidence. It was literally evidence. It was, you know, I running my business, just doing my day-to-day thing, and <clears throat> the majority of the people that were coming to me were black, period. It wasn't because I was, you know, aiming for black people. It's just who was attra- we're attracted to our tribe. We're attracted to people who look like us. We're attracted to people who we think can relate to us, and so... for me it was black people were attracted to me and so just you know 98% of my business was black people and they were paying honey they were paying like they were paying my prices and their payments were not failing and you know we were starting I was starting to get some some financial momentum in the company right um now One caveat to that, I'll say from a business standpoint, too, you know, if if you never get any objections about your price point, you might be priced too low. And I talked about that earlier. Like I was underpricing my services. Right. Based on the value that we were delivering. And so, you know, but, but black people were paying. So I had a roster of clients. Right. One on one clients, you know, course clients, whatever you know, nutrition coaching clients, personal training clients, you know, all these services that I was offering. And um, they were mostly black and the business was sustainable. Like I got to a point where I was able to go full-time entrepreneur, not working for anyone and pay my rent at the time. Like I was able to pay my bills. I'm like, wait, wait. So what ended up happening is a little bit of cognitive dissonance, right? I'm like, okay, he said that if I want to make money in my business and feed my family and be successful. I can't rely on black people. However, I'm feeding my, fun, my family and I'm getting successful and I'm paying my bills and I'm able to take a trip every now and then and all my clientele is black, right? And so the, the, it started, the advice started clashing with what was happening in real time. Okay, so that's the first way in which I was able to begin to unravel this limiting belief system and then disassociate from it is that, you know, evidence that, the opposite was true right evidence that there was another theory out there that may have been more accurate right and so that self-awareness was huge um and so what the next thing that helped me get rid of the limiting belief? so first it was evidence of the contrary okay so evidence of the contrary um and then the next thing was you know how um Current events. So essentially how the world started evolving when Trump came into office. So when Trump, you know, got into office in 2016 and, you know, again, I had just started my first company in 2015, the year before, but they're really, that's when I, you know, a, a huge divide started coming between, you know, certain people. Cause you know, Barack was leaving, Trump was entering and it was just like this really, blatant division where you know you had like this black president this black first lady and then you had like Trump who started bringing out the white supremacists from like the darkness and the shadows right and we then saw throughout his four years in office how it just became even worse and exacerbated that right and so I had a revelation when, you know, during Trump's presidential campaign um, about who I wanted to serve. Because what I saw in my mind was like a a little mini revolution happening. But then what I also saw was like, okay to be on the front lines of this revolution and for us to work hard to retain our rights, to retain our civil rights, our natural human rights and all of this um, in this country. We're going to have to be a part of the revolution, but we can't do that overweight, period. That's what it was. Like, we can't do that with hypertension. Like, you can't march being morbidly obese. Like, you can't protest in whatever that looks like for you. Like, you can't be an activist and be dealing with a chronic fatigue syndrome or, you know, autoimmune disease. So I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Right, I'm like, let me let me make this make sense. First of all, you know, I'm got black people and they're paying and I'm making money. Second of all, there's clearly something happening in the country. Like the it was like some slow rumbling, you know, right under the surface and then you know when he got in office and <laughs> continued to be in office it exploded. But there was rumbling during his election and his campaign. And so I saw like, okay, we have to be ready. Right? We have to be in a position to be ready. And my form of activism is literally getting the frontliners ready. Right? My form of activism is not going out in the middle street and marching with a picket sign. I've done that and I will randomly join a march, but I don't look for them online. I don't lead them. You know what I mean? I don't need to grab a mic and speak in front of the people about the revolution. My form of activism is working in the background and literally being the health coach for the frontliners. That's my form of activism. So, I saw that issue, I'm like, man, these, at that time, you know, um, black women were the fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs in America. And what I knew from studying those statistics was that the majority of black owned businesses only have one employee. Okay. So what I deduced from that particular statistic was that if that one, that one employee, which is the founder um is not healthy physically, emotionally mentally, then the business crumbles, which does what puts us at an economic disadvantage because we're at an economic disadvantage if these black owned businesses cannot survive because of the health of the founder because most of them have one biz- one one owner one um employee which is the founder at least for the couple first couple of years at first right um and so I saw a problem. I was like, okay, let me make this make sense. We're the fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs, yet we are also seventy five percent of us are overweight or obese, right? We're also leading the numbers when it comes to hypertension, uh, type two diabetes, and you know several other chronic conditions. So I'm like, whoa, this doesn't make sense. Those two, those two t- statistics cannot be allowed to collide, right? Leading in overweight and obesity and leading in starting businesses and growing entrepreneurship cannot collide because that, that intersection is going to be uh, problematic because business owners and founders, especially when you're just starting your company, need to be at their best. They need to be at their optimal physical, physically, mentally, and emotionally. So let me get in here and be obedient right, and target them. OK, so that was the second catalyst for helping me to unravel this belief system that, you know, I couldn't rely on black people to be financially free and to be in to have a successful company. Right. So it was that thing that was kind of going on in the country. And then it was, again, evidence to the contrary that I was doing it. OK. OK. So. So then what happened? OK. So after those things, those two things, um, I decided to change my company name to Professionally Fit and we changed it to Professionally Fit because from Fit Camp 360 to Professionally Fit because our mission was, you know, or our tagline essentially was, you know, um, executive wellness and executive coaching for high performance professionals. And our target audience was black female founders, right? Um, because I was going to all these networking events and everything, and you know, and then they were mostly people of color. And so I was doing pitch competitions and all these these cool things. Um but i was I was watching the audience, and all these black female founders and male founders were showing up overweight. And then when I talked to them and we talked about, what do you do? What do you do? Of course, you know, when I share what I do, um, oh, I teach health, you know, plant-based nutrition, weight loss, fitness, whatever. They they deep dive into their story and kind of what's going on with them. And so I knew specifically that this demographic of people were unhealthy, right? Um, I knew that they, were, they needed help with their health. And I knew, like, just to make this more even tangible, like, you're, they're chronically dehydrated, right? They're fueling their day with caffeine and sugar, right? Um, they... Definitely, they've decided they definitely don't have time for exercise, right? Um, And so they're not eating right, they're not moving, and I discovered this, like you know, getting after working with so many of them that there's unresolved trauma, and that unresolved trauma has led to limiting belief systems, which is seeping into their business, right? And so I remember creating. At Professionally Fit, we had like I Fit, Be Fit, and one other. We had like a, a three-tier program that you could choose from. Um, but the, the the big one, it was like I Fit, which is individual, B Fit. And I forgot the final one. It was a dope name too. Um, but that one, that was a program that um, combined physical fitness with nutrition, with mental health. And I literally hired a therapist that will be part of the client's program. So they would get fitness and nutrition for me. I was doing online personal training, would build out their personal training, but then they will also get literally therapy sessions with the therapist. It was, it was a super dope partnership. Like even to this day, I still refer, you know, my former therapist to a lot of people because, um, I, that's one of the deficits I noticed in people being able to heal from like food dependencies and just addictions and just not being able to get over the hump in their health journey as they usually have emotional eating issues they usually have to overcome you know some some type of unresolved trauma to really take their health to the next level so the mental health piece has been there for years Um, but you know this is essentially how and why I was able to overcome or get over that That limiting belief that I wouldn't be able to survive or be successful having mostly black people as clients. So, you know, I made that shift from um, FitCamp Camp 360 to Professionally Fit. Then what happened was, you know, so we turned into Professionally Fit in 2016. And, you know, I'm targeting, again, high-performing professionals so and you know people of color specifically so that's what you saw all over our social media page and all of that stuff it was really like black female professionals we made it clear that this is who our target audience is like Trump getting in office helped me be like no I'm the face of this brand so that's when I went public with my face like that's when I went public with I'm the founder of this company and I am going to help us like I'm My form of activism is helping other people be healthy for their form of activism. And so I'm like when I if I work with I felt like my quickest way to reach the masses was to go was to help other influencers and um, people with audiences and clients help them get healthy and they will trickle it down to their people to their staff To their community, you know, to their clients, and so that's why I target targeted high performance people. I'm like they have a huge audience that they're serving, and if they're healthier, their company will be healthier, right? Um, And all of that. So it was just like this very clear trickle down effect to me. So I went public with being black, right, at that time in 2016. Okay, I've never chronicled this like this, and so I'm kind of doing this as I'm saying it and it's kind of dope to hear my 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 journey and my evolution in this way with regard to my blackness (laughs) but anyway um okay and so I literally in 2016 as I'm working professionally fit what began to happen was I began to notice that I was getting you know inquiries from individuals who weren't necessarily high performing professionals. They might have been low or middle management professionals, just trying to lose a little weight. Like, they're not trying to make a huge splash in the world right now, right? They're like, listen, I just need to get my blood pressure down. I just need to, you know, I need to get this cholesterol down. Or I just went to the doctor and then my doctor said, I'm pre diabetic, pre hypertensive, you know, I'm showing some markers for this autoimmune disease or whatever. And I'm just trying to do that. I don't need the therapy. I don't need, like, I just need help with. Getting the foundations of health, like help me stop eating this junk. Help me understand more. I'm, maybe I, I just want to learn a little more about what a plant based diet is. Like I'm not trying to make a huge splash right now. Like this is just for my personal health. You know, maybe my husband. You know, but just, just. And so I was like, okay, okay. Working with these, you know, high performing professionals and these C suite individuals is cool, but it's not reaching the masses fast enough. And so that's why the Black Health Academy was born in 2017. Okay, so literally Fit Camp 360 in 2015, hey, advice you not going to be successful if you just work with black people. Then 2016, I've been working for black, with black people like a year now, and I've got some financial momentum in my company and Trump and got into office. And I see that, you know, black entrepreneurs are on the growth spurt and it's time to be fully full on black. Like it's time to publicly identify as black. Right. Um, and so we turn into professionally fit. But then in 2017, I came to the realization that there was still a huge segment of the population that I was excluding because they needed this health. And so that's when the Black Health Academy was born. And so I'm like, okay, I'll still work with high performance professionals over here. And then the Black Health Academy will be for individuals who maybe don't need to work one on one with me. You know, they can be in a membership style based platform where they're getting fed this content right, that they can consume on their own time, on their own terms, they can make their decisions of what they want to do, you know, with it, how they want to use it and implement it, and maybe we'll have, you know, some upsells if they do need more touch points with the expert, but I want it to be kind of a open platform where people can just click and play and go wherever they need to, you know, to get what they need, and so that's when that was born, and so, you know, the Black Health Academy was born and my mission there was like, we're going to, it was like I said, three membership tiers, super affordable. It was like free. And then I think it was like $19 a month, $29 a month, $39 a month, Like three membership tiers. This is just for the average person trying to get healthy. Right. Um, and then, you know, I was like, things aren't really moving fast enough here. I need to make this even more accessible And, you know, that's when we moved into a completely free membership platform, which it is today. Right. Um, And let me tell you a little bit about, you know, essentially the conclusion of all this, because I now am. So just if it wasn't clear, you know, the Black Health Academy was born. Like, I don't know if I put enough emphasis on that when I said it. But that like flies into the face of all the limiting belief systems I have when I got that first piece of advice years prior, right? Black people don't value their health, right? So, because as I mentioned, you know, the Black Health Academy is a free platform today, right? And so it doesn't really speak to uh, black people being broke because I made it a free platform, but I'm going to get to that in a second and how I've unleashed that limiting belief system. But black people not valuing health Well, I can testify for certain that I know at least a thousand people who do, right? And there's been even more that's been through my uh, course, Farm to Table. There's been even more who have just showed up to my classes, um, both in person and virtually. So we've touched thousands upon thousands of people I know for certain. I've had people come and say, You know, what based on what I learned in class last month, I went and told that to my sister, to my best friend, you know, to my spouse or whatever. And those people may not be Black Health Academy members, but they're benefiting from the content that we're giving in the Black Health Academy. Right. Um, So the whole thing that black people don't value health, I was able to dispel that myth really quickly Um, And that that belief really quickly because I started getting a demand for people who wanted that help. And that's why I, I started the Black Health Academy for that reason, not only because of the disparities in our community, but people were inquiring. I need help. Right. They were calling. And the reason the Black Health Academy was born is because they they couldn't necessarily afford our prices um, at professionally fit, but also the packages weren't quite a good fit either, right? Because they weren't they weren't the target target audience, right? So, you know, um, what happened was, uh, you know, I was able to you know get to this day, you know, thousand people who you know value health and who understand. Um, that, you know, this is imperative for their legacy. This is imperative for the people in their generations coming behind them. This is imperative for the generations who are already here, for their kids and their grandkids. And so, you know, Black people not valuing health is completely bullocks, right? It's completely rubbish. It's completely untrue. That's first and foremost. So I was able to dispel that limiting belief systems just by the amount of business I was getting at my companies. And then again, I was able to maintain a sustainable company and be a full time entrepreneur for years, you know, on the black dollar. Right. So the major takeaway here, which I want to share with you, which I think is really important from this major takeaway is our entrepreneurial one. Um, because it's really, really important to note, um, and, it, and it's helping me make some changes in my company today which is this. Number one, when you're obedient, you will attract your tribe and they will know your value. Okay. so now as a good business person, you are still required to articulate your value well. Right. Um, But when you master that, it's less effort to close the deal. It's less effort to get the sale. And, you know, it doesn't require a bunch of aggressive selling techniques and, and tactics or a bunch of convincing, you know, a lot of people in business, they don't like sales because they feel like it's, you know, a little crummy. They feel like it's a little slimy, right? A little um, sleazy, right? Like, because sales, you know, a lot of people associate the word sales with, um, you know, trying to convince somebody to spend money on something they don't need, or moreover, trying to convince somebody to spend their heart or money on um, something to benefit you with no benefit to them, Right. And so one of the things you might have to do as you're, you know, moving more towards being aligned with what you're meant to do and building out your services and products in your business or your offering, whatever your obedience look like, it might not look like you starting a company, just to be clear. I'm just always speaking from that perspective because that's what I do. But obedience doesn't mean you're starting your own company. But however it means to be obedient, obedience, uh, it still can mean you're setting your own prices, right, Um, in some form of fashion. And. It's important to note that doing that, you know, in doing that, when you're setting those prices and when you are deciding, you know, what you're going to charge people, it should be based on the value that you're offering. It should be based on the the value that the end user is going to receive. You know, it's not sleazy if you're obedient in the first place, because obedience equals serving, like when you're obedient to your calling um, in this life. It automatically means you're serving. So it's impossible for what you're selling to be sleazy because you're serving. You it's you don't have yourself in mind. You have the benefit of that customer in mind, right? And so I know I'm in alignment. Like I know I am in my bag with health, right? Like I know that. And so when I'm when I need to get on a call and close a sale or close, you know, onboard a new client there's no shame or feelings of insecurity about that sales process because I know I'm being obedient, meaning I'm serving, meaning I'm adding value to that person's life with my gift, right? And so I'm not ashamed of saying this is the price. And can are you ready with your credit card information, right? And so it's important to um, understand that if you're not obedient, my, maybe one of the reasons you're having issues with, you know, pricing your services or selling your services and you're developing some insecure insecurities around it is because you're maybe a, a, a bit out of alignment with what you're doing. Right. And so it feels like, you know, this is for me when really it's for them. Right. But, Selling, I remember hearing this one time and I can't remember. It was like this this sales expert. He was teaching just some like really critical concepts around selling. And I remember him saying, selling is giving somebody the opportunity to work with you. They get the privilege to work with you. Right. And this has nothing to do with ego, but it has everything to do with, you know, you know, you you know, your stuff. You're coming with your game. This is their opportunity um, to work with you, and I think sometimes with selling, we feel like the the customer's doing us a favor, but no you're doing them a favor, right so you need to reframe that right so that's number one, like I had to evict that limiting belief system around whether or not black people were gonna pay for my stuff because you know I'm showing up with a talent, right, and they're gonna benefit in these ways right there's the value is gonna be attached to this price tag it's not just me. My my prices are not based on my personal monthly expenses, right? There's a small aspect of that in your pricing structure, but my pricing is mostly based on the value that the end user is going to receive. Now, one thing you may or may have noted, not noticed, um, in these last forty nine minutes <laughs> that I've been talking is that I never said the word worth. I never said that you know my pricing structure is based on what I'm worth. So I want to pause here to make a distinction between worth and value, because a lot of times, you know, people um, when they're moving into a more entrepreneurial space or, you know, even just becoming like a freelancer or independent contractor or whatever, you know, people say, I want to charge what I'm worth. I want to charge what I'm worth. And your worth is infinite. Okay, your worth is infinite. So you will never charge what you're worth you need to charge based on the value that the in person the, the end user is going to receive. So let me put this in more even more even more plain terms, okay? Cuz for example, at farm to table, we offer a lot of value um, and the price structure of that course is actually going up this year significantly because of the amount of value we add, because of the amount of receipts we have showing that we get people results, right? But what does? But how am I deciding what that value is? Okay, so let me put this in black and white for my for my other science heads and my other people who are like you know make it make sense from you know a scientific matter. The formula that I'm going to use to rework our pricing structure in you know my farm to table course is this. Number one, you know what am I selling, right? What's my promise, right? And though you know essentially in very short layman's terms, you know we're gonna We're teaching how to use a whole food plant-based diet to reverse chronic conditions, right? Um, What is that worth? What's the value of that to the end user, right? What is the value of reversing type 2 diabetes? What is the value of, you know, reaching uh, and maintaining a healthy weight? What is the value in um, putting your cancer in remission? And I'm not just throwing that out there. We've done that. Um, What is the value in reversing high cholesterol Heart disease, you know, chronic fatigue. What is the value in that, right? And so, how do I determine that? Well, one, you know, I, I did some research on what is the average amount that a person is paying annually on just prescription drugs and and doctor's visits to treat those chronic conditions, right? All right. Now we're working with some real tangible numbers based in you know something that really makes sense and not just what I feel like I'm worth, right? Um, what is the average time loss? Like how many years does, is shaved off a person's life typically on average when they're diagnosed with type two diabetes, right? Or when they're diagnosed with breast cancer or when they're diagnosed with, you know, an autoimmune disease or when they're diagnosed with obesity, right? It's very rare to see a senior citizen that's obese. I mean, like, do are people making it to their nineties obese? More than likely not. So I have have research that I can do that literally helps me decide what the value is on what I'm selling, okay? And so once I have those numbers and I come up with a new pricing structure, I'm then able to, and then I need to go back to the notebook and make sure I'm able to articulate that. So I have my numbers. I know what what helping somebody reverse these conditions is worth. Helping somebody, what is it worth to help somebody prevent these conditions in the first place? Whoa, right? How much time and energy and money am I saving a person who uh, masters a plant-based diet and never has to deal with heart disease or type 2 diabetes, you know, or, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome or whatever, right? Like, what's the value in preventing that? Like, literally... They almost went left in their life, and I took them right, and then and it was a much more seamless, paved road, right? And so, what's the value in, in prevention? What's the value in reversal? What's the value in that? And so, those are the numbers I need to go do my market research on, and then come back and create a new pricing structure, right? And so, in business, you know, that's what that's what I do. So it's not about. You know, who am I serving and what exactly do I think they can afford? Now I'm in their business. I don't know these people's income, monthly income, annual income. I can't base my pricing structure off of that. I need to base my pricing structure specifically and only on the value that my service will provide to them. Right. And I don't have any shame in that number. Because I'm serving and I'm obedient. So when you're obedient, you're in alignment. When you're in alignment, your tribe will be attracted to you. When your tribe is attracted to you, they will understand your value because you've already done a phenomenal job at articulating it. When they understand your value, it eliminates all pricing objectives, objections, excuse me, objections, right? So... Because I'm going to do such a good job at articulating my value, when somebody sees the price tag of farm to table later this year, right, there aren't going to be any objections. Right. It's, maybe they have it now. Maybe they don't. Maybe they going to go on the payment plan. But they're not going to question, is this thing worth this price? Because I've already attached the value to it. And so I'm not worrying about, you know, black people um, being able to afford my services right that's with any that's with any population or any demographic it's not whether or not they can afford it necessarily it's whether or not they they value it right and whether or not they value it has to do with how you've articulated that value and that's what i needed to understand and maybe that's what my mentor needed to understand before he made that statement right um and so when you're obedient you attract your tribe and they'll know your value right um, and that was my biggest takeaway So I think you know my final my final point I'll make here in this episode um, which is the biggest lesson that I learned from being able to deconstruct this limiting belief system from that piece of advice is obedience is not just in what you do but it's in who you serve right because i used to think obedience was just about what you do like obedience is about living your god given gift taking your the gift that god gave you um, and putting it on display using it to make the world a better place than what you found it right leave the world in a better place than what you found it that's what being obedient is all about period point blank but i thought that it was simply about your gift right but obedience also is tied to not just your you you because you and somebody else might share the same gift like I'm not the only great like speaker or teacher or a health coach or whatever out there like there's no way right so you may share your gift with many people but the difference the differentiator may be in who you guys serve right that could be the difference and so obedience is not just in what you do but it's also in who you serve um obedience is not just about the talent but it's also connected to the way in which the talent is delivered and that was my obedience lesson from this piece of advice i was like okay i was only being obedient you know, obedient in one specific way which is with my gift and i'm thinking like anybody can get this gift this gift anybody can get this help right but no i'm for black people period I am. Like, I relate to them. They relate to me. We speak the same language. We got the same swag. Many of us have been through the same journey. Like, that is my tribe, right? And so, when I'm speaking... I am the most comfortable when I'm in front of a Black audience, right? Um, I Like, I get giddy. Like, I cannot wait, right? Like, there's certain things we can say, and there's certain examples I can use based on our collective experience that helps my message to land better, right? And so... Being obedient for me and for you is not just about you um, delivering your gift, but sometimes it's attached to who it needs to be delivered to. So if you feel like you're a little off base or off center um, and being obedient, you know, you might be saying, okay, look, I'm, I know that I'm called to do what I'm doing. Now, the next thing I want you to look at is, are you doing, doing it for the people you were meant to do it for? And that was my biggest takeaway. And that's why that's the best advice I never took eventually. (laughs) It created some limiting beliefs that, you know, kind of haunted my progress in the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. But now I got this thing. Like I am openly for, for us, by us, right? I created a whole company. That's how much I had to undo that limiting belief system that's how much i had to push back against it is i created the black health academy period poo <laughs> See so that landed for black people. You know what I'm saying. So that's my story, and that is the best advice I never took. Uh, eventually, I hope this episode was super helpful for some of you guys, and helping you get into alignment, or maybe even helping you, you know, with your pricing structure in your business. Uh, for those of you who are currently taking uh, Farm to Table, who have graduated from Farm to Table, you got in good, honey, because the price tag is going up this year as we restructure some things. We've added so much to the course. Um, and so and it's so much value, like I can't deny the value. And so I just want to drive home the point that you know our pricing is now gonna be a little more aligned, better aligned with the value that we're giving our students. Um and you know, and it and it'll, and it'll be perceived differently because of that price structure as well, right? Like I talked about earlier. So just evolving as entrepreneur, just evolving as a person of color. Um, and evicting those limiting belief systems. And one thing I didn't circle back around to that I'll say before officially closing is, you know, I got financially savvy, right? You know, several years ago, I began investing and just starting my own personal portfolio and diversifying my portfolio. And this year, um, more likely this year, I'll, you know, be purchasing my first income property. And so, you know, just becoming financially free to help me break the chains of my own personal financial limiting belief systems, which then allowed me to charge differently too. I wasn't thinking that everybody's financial situation was like mine, which was struggling. <laughs> um, and so that shift, so getting healthy in my financial life helped my business too, right? Because it stripped away, you know, you know, I because I was in a position where I had the first thing I had to look at with everything was a price tag what's the price tag? I felt like that's what everyone else was looking at first too. And that's not the case. That's that's you, right? That's you bringing you to the business, right? Um, And that's not always the first thing everyone's looking at. Some people are looking for what are my results? What's the promise? And can you give me what I'm looking for? And I'll pay whatever you ask. And if you can guarantee me that, right? And so I had to take my own personal limiting beliefs out of The equation and you know help myself to restructure pricing in that way so listen is this is this was a big growth listen help me celebrate 1,000 members y'all send me a line shoot me an email admin at blackhealthacademy.com or just put click the link you know here in the show notes Um, We're going to post it. Make sure you guys are following the Black Health Academy on Instagram. Those 1,000 members are not reflected in our Instagram followers (laughs) uh, per se. But listen, we're still growing this thing. And I am so excited that I finally reached my goal of 1,000 members and counting. Just to be clear, like when you shut the doors, it's just 1,000 and counting. And um, just proving that, you know, we value health um, and you know, people in, black people invest in their health. You know, 99.9% of our students in Farm to Table over the last four years have been black. And so, again, right, people are paying money to come get this health. Um, and they want it from somebody who looks like them. I've heard that. That's not me guessing. I've heard that. Like, I'm so happy to be in a class with individuals who I feel like, you know, I can relate to and they can relate to me. So, you know, I set out to solve a problem and, you know, I am proud to say we're doing just that. So thank you so much for listening. Listen, another obedience episode will um, be dropping in the month of February. So keep on rocking with us. Um, I appreciate you guys. Be sure to follow the Black Health Academy podcast on whatever platform, or should I say subscribe to the Black Health Academy podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Until next time, peace.